Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with your host, Junior Renee Bobrun. If you're a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you. If you are a returning listener, I'd love to welcome you back and thank you again for listening to me and engaging in this ongoing conversation. It's something I like to say, even though I'm the only one that's speaking right now, this is not a monologue, it's a dialogue between you and I. I consider this a conversation between me and each and every listener out there personally. Something that I'm saying probably resonates with you directly. And maybe another listener, it might just it, they might just glean over it. But you personally, you're saying, wow, that right there, that particular thing hit home. May not be the whole show, may not be the full 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes, but that one sentence, that one 10, 15, 20 second monologue or whatever created a dialogue with you and I. That's why this is a dialogue, not a monologue. And I appreciate you guys tuning in. If you guys have any questions, suggestions, concerns, critiques, contributions, I encourage you to email me at whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com. That is whose, W-H-O-S-E, world, W-O-R-L-D-I-S-T-H-I-S-2-1, the number two, the number one, at gmail.com. I can also be reached at my Instagram page, which is whose world is this 2021. That's whose world is this 2021 on Instagram. I'm going to do a little house cleaning before we get started. I'd like to give a special, special acknowledgement to onelavi.com. That is O-N-E-L-A-V-I.com. That's where I go for a lot of my supplements and my nutritional uh, uh accessories and things of that nature i um my honey my 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 lotions my vitamins my cognitive uh supplements and things of that nature i go there to onelavi.com for that i am working on my first book should be out either at the end of this year or in the beginning of next year what's that book going to be about the truth will be revealed shortly however what i'm using to write this book since I've never written a book before. I'm using the Essential Self-Publishing Blueprint, which is available at ChavezHouse.com. Also available on ChavezHouse.com are the Lenore Batista Journals Collection. I implore and encourage you to pick up one of the journals. We have the Gratitude Journal, the Abundance is Mine Journal, the Love Letters to Myself Journal, the She Believed She Could So She Did It Journal. A lot of journals that have to do with self-empowerment, people writing down what they're grateful for, what they want to accomplish. You commit it to paper, you have the thought, you put it down into word, and it becomes deed. Got it? We also have a notebook series that's available on that um. Uh, on that site as well very important you guys check it out the uh, notebooks uh, on the cover of the notebooks we have different flags from from America we have the American flag then other notebooks have flags from the Caribbean other notebooks have uh, prominent flags in South America we're working on the Africa flags and the Europe it's a great collection check it out uh, the links 
or at ChavezHouse.com. Oftentimes, it'll take you uh, to the Amazon page where you can buy them as well. Check it out, OneLobby.com for your vitamins and supplements, minerals, and ChavezHouse.com. If you want to write a book, if you want to write some things down, if you want to learn how to write a book and become successful, as that blueprint was, it was number one in the spring of this year. It was number one on Amazon in its genre. And if you want to write a book or if you want to just write things down to center yourself, to put yourself, to commit and make promises to yourself and commit them to paper, then I suggest you buy one of those journals right there, especially for my ladies out there. Definitely buy it. If you're a male listener, buy the gratitude journal and other journals out there. Purchase them for your female companions, your friends, your sister, your female cousin, your mom, your aunt, your grandma. Trust me, they'll appreciate it. It makes a great gift. It makes a great random gift. Just buy it out of nowhere. You know, it's thoughtful. It's the thought that counts. As they say, so here we are. Ah, It's July. It's warm outside. A lot of things going on in the world, right? Remember, we, you know, um, early on in um, this journey of ours and this conversation of ours, you go on to our early episodes. I made a somewhat of a promise to you guys that I wouldn't just pick things up out of the headlines and just snatch celebrity celebrity names and use them for clickbait purposes we don't do that here you know um and i wouldn't just take things out of the daily news and just dissect them i thought to me personally that's low-hanging fruit you know just plucking something out the sky a lot of interesting things going on in the world though right we're we're america the United States is pulling out of Afghanistan officially or militarily. <sighs> that in and of itself is nuanced and layered to say we're pulling out of Afghanistan. It's a blanket statement. We're never going to leave a country or America. I'm sorry, because I've never occupied a country. I've, I've stayed there and I've left and I've really left. But when we're speaking about military and we're speaking about the governmental um occupations and occupation is a word that's has some layers to it but whatever and some people may consider it derisive and misleading but once a certain country enters into another country in a milit in military theater often very difficult for them to leave they say that war is easy to get into and hell to get out of So we're leaving or pulling out of Afghanistan, and I put leaving in quotes, after 20 years. Let me tell you something. I don't know about you, but that feels like yesterday, 9-11. I was in New York. You know what I mean? Um, I had things going on in Manhattan at that time when it happened, and it feels like yesterday. Two years later, I didn't live in New York anymore. And um, to think that all of that started about 20 years ago. And here we are. And I'm hearing talk that certain um, factors and factions are, are, are looking and vying for power in Afghanistan. As It feels as if as soon as the United States leaves, you know, it's going to be exactly... Uh, going to fall into a power vacuum of sorts interesting in any case we have that 
And then we have the assassination of a duly elected leader of a nation state. Jovenel Moise of Haiti was assassinated this week in his home, killed by many accounts. It was Colombian mercenaries or mercenaries of Colombian descent. Okay, no one knows. They always, it's often said that in an assassination, it's not important as to who pulled the trigger. What's important is who paid for the bullets in that gun, who paid for the gun. So that's what they're attempting to ascertain now. It's not the who, it's the who behind the scenes, not the men that you see. They're paid. They have no, oftentimes they have no political allegiances. They are, uh, their allegiance is to their compensation. And even if they're caught, their families get taken care of. So even if they're incarcerated or executed or killed, the promise is we will take care of your loved ones. So right now you have a couple of dozen mercenaries or, or what I like to call military contractors because that's, that's the new sanitized term. We're going back to mercenaries, I noticed when I looked at the news, but it's really military contractors now. You know, um, highly paid mercenaries now are detained in Haiti after the assassination of their president while he was at home. His wife was injured. She was flown to a hospital in South Florida. It's interesting. 2021, assassination of a president. Okay. And um, there's no president. There's no working parliament. You have a couple of political ministers, cabinet people in Haiti that are uh, vying for power right now. So there's a power vacuum. Haiti's been a state of disarray and discord for many, many years. Huh. One could say many, many decades, but definitely in the last couple of years. I know this personally because I have friends and family who own real estate and have had businesses in Haiti and have had to close up shop and move to South Florida because the dangers on the ground vis-a-vis -vis kidnappings, things of that nature. Uh, it's very unfortunate. So the name of, it, of this episode is, if you rule the world, how would it look like? This is season two, episode 11. If you rule the world, look at what's going on in the world. We have vaccines and we have two, vac two, two jab or not to jab contingents. We have civil unrests. We have people vying for rights all over, whether it's the United States or Syria or it's India, doesn't matter. Let's look at the world as it is. Great progress has been made, right? One can say we've we've lifted a whole generation of Chinese out of poverty. China at one point was a peasant economy back in the 40s and 50s and 60s. And today it is a superpower. That's something to applaud, is it not? Is it not? Russia we were in the midst of a cold war at the end of it when I was a kid. 
the United States were pointing weapons at Russia and Russia was pointing their proverbial weapons at the United States, their weapons at the United States. And now the war is not exactly cold. It's not frigid. It's not lukewarm, but it's not as contentious and as adversarial as it was back then. That's an improvement of, of some sorts, right? So a lot of people say that we're, we're, we're you know, we're, we're descending into this sort of dystopian future. Okay. Let's let's think about, you know, I think we spoke about it in the last episode. Um let's let's talk about, you know, the the nuclear fallout shelters that people used to have uh, at the schools and in their homes. One can argue that we are in a safer world now than we were back then. One can argue that. One can also argue that never has the world had the capacity to destroy itself like it does today. We have more than a handful of nations that have nuclear capabilities, whether it's the Russians, the United States, of course. We have China. We have India. We have Pakistan. We have Israel. We have South Africa. And I think there are a couple more. That's just on my hands. All of them have a nuclear weapon that can kill the birds, the bees, the trees, and the breeze. Not just people, but you kill the oxygen. Now let's think about that for a minute. That's where we are. We weren't at this, in this place in, 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 in 1821 or 1721 or 1621. But that's where we are today in 2021. That's where we are. Our probably our our biggest invention is our ability to completely annihilate ourselves, to do what Mother Nature can do. Vis-a-vis -vis an asteroid or a comet or our sun burning out, we can do that to each other. Hooray for us as a species. That's why I ask this question. If you rule the world, why do I ask that question? Because obviously when you see people take to the streets and you see people uh, uh, vie for public office and you see people um, protest, you see people engage in revolutionary activities saying we want to overthrow particular systems. What they're saying is I can do better than what's going on now. I can do better. That's what you're saying. I've had enough of how things are. I can do better. And what about the people who just remain silent? Because we're all complicit in this, by the way. That's what I want to say. If, if, if you ruled the world, how would the world be? Here's the, here's the answer to that. We all rule the world. Each and every last one of us rules this world that we live in. Each and every last one of us. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you understand what that means? If we decide to speak on something, we're saying that I can no longer let this stand. If we decide to be silent about a particular thing, we say, huh, you know what, doesn't concern me. It's not affecting people on my side of the tracks. So guess what? I'm going to let it slide, right? So each and every last one of us are complicit and responsible for the world that we live in as, as conscious, self-aware, upper mammals. 
right? You live in the United States. You get to say what you want to say. You get to stand in the middle of the street, get a soapbox and stand there. And most times you won't get a black bag put over your head and hauled off to some sort of some sort of site where you're never seen again. Most times you can say it on the Internet. I can say certain things on here that many people in many other places around the world cannot do what I'm doing right now. Just speak about certain things that are going on in the world. They have to do it underground. They can't have a show with their name on it. They have to use some sort of short wave radio frequency where they can't be traced by uh, uh, their, their uh, authorities, by the authorities. I don't have to worry about that. I can say a whole lot of things about the government. I can say a lot of things about Biden, Trump, Obama, Kamala, Hillary, whomever. I can say that. I can speak about Fauci and, 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 and this one in Soros. Can you, I can use these names interchangeably in all types of sentences. I can go online and get information. I can research information. I can go to bookstores and meetings and conventions that speak about these people ad nauseum. Books are written about these people and things that they allegedly have done that may be undermining certain uh, democratic institutions. Allegedly. We can do that here. So that means if you look at your politicians... If you look at the world and you don't like it and you think you could do better, then what are you doing to make it better? If you rule the world right now, you out there right now, what would be different about the world? What would be different? Because I've asked myself that question. The reason why I asked that question is because I remember being an employee and saying to myself, man, if I managed this place, I'd be running this place totally different. You know, man, my boss, my supervisor doesn't really know what he's talking. You know, ugh, man, why do you speak to me like that? That's not how you motivate me. He should have said to me, A, B, C, and D. She should have said to me, A, B. If I was in their position, I would do better. And I remember people around me saying the same thing. Man, you, June, do you see what such and such said? And all of a sudden, certain people around me would get into positions of power. And I would go, oh, they, they have authority at the job now. We're good. Because I remember having these conversations in hushed tones about how if they were in power, things would be different. And guess what? When those people got into power, things weren't different. Actually, oftentimes, and in my own experience, off, more often than not, things got worse. I've always said this, and I'm not bragging. This is not some sort of backdoor flex or me, just me trying to toot my own horn or whatever. I've been the best supervisor that I've ever had. I've been the best manager I've ever had. I've been the best mentor that I never had. You understand? I've been able in my life, and I've been fortunate enough to do what was not done for me. When I wanted a big brother, couldn't have a big brother because I was the biggest brother of two. I was the old, eldest of two. When I, when I needed a big homie as a cousin to, to, to pull me to the side and just tell me about the goings-on in the world, no elder stepped forward. No cousin did. But I have countless cousins who were able to count on me. When I needed that friend that could help me with my, my issues and I felt that my issues were just a little bit above my pay grade, 
and they couldn't help me. They were there to listen, but they they weren't there to offer any sage advice. I was there to listen and give sage advice to others. But very often than not, if we enter into the same positions of power that we complain about, we'll probably do the exact same thing. It, it harkens me back to a George Carlin quote. I love George Carlin. George Carlin, if you don't know, is an American comedian. He has long since passed and escaped this mortal coil. But he said something that was so honest and so important, and it's something that I've felt for so long that I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you verbatim. Here it goes. He said, now there's one thing you might have noticed. I don't complain about politicians. Everybody complains about politicians. Everybody says they suck. Well, where do people think these politicians come from? They don't fall out of the sky. They don't pass through a membrane from another reality. They come from American parents and American families, American homes, American schools, American churches, American businesses, and American universities. And they are elected by... American citizens. This is the best we can do, folks. This is what we have to offer. It's what our system produces. Garbage in, garbage out. If you have selfish, ignorant citizens, you're going to have selfish, ignorant leaders. Term limits aren't going to do you any good. You're just going to end up with brand new bunch of selfish, ignorant Americans. So maybe, maybe, maybe. It's not the politicians who suck. Maybe something else sucks around here. Like the public. Yeah, maybe the public sucks. There's a nice campaign slogan for somebody. The public sucks. Now, <laughs> maybe many of you out there don't want to take such a, uh, I guess you want to call it such a cynical view. And... Some may say that that view is on the extreme, that the public sucks. But our political leaders make up what? How many political leaders do we have? You have 50 states. It means you have 50 governors. You have a couple of senators per state, a couple of mayors per state. So let me get this straight. You're telling me 400 members of our political office, of our uh, 400 elected officials, are the reason why 300 million people in this country are not happy with the direction the country is going in, whether you're a conservative or whether you're a d Democrat or a, a Republican or a liberal or conservative, whether you're a libertarian, whether you're a socialist Democrat or whatever, that, whatever label you've decided to uh, uh, um, attach yourself with or group attached to yourself. You're telling me that all these people are angry. Listen to me. All these people are angry at this country and you're telling me that you can't change it. All 150 million or 300 million or how many people voted in the last election was the, which was the most listen to me now last the last election la, our last presidential election of 2020 which had the democrat joseph biden run against donald trump and that election that was one of the highest turnouts if not the highest turnout in history. You understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? For these two men, with respect to anyone out there 
who loves themselves some Joe Biden or loves themselves some Donald Trump. Think about that for a minute and think about that George Carlin line. This is the best we can do. Is this the best we can do? When you sat there and watched that presidential debate, were you proud to be an American? Question mark. Were you? When you watched the first debate between President Joe Biden and I'm sorry, Senator Joe Biden and President Donald Trump, were you proud? Would this make the Olympic team? You see how much time we spend picking who gets to play in our Olympic games and represent us? See, we're, we're, the Olympics start when? In, in a couple of weeks or in a month or so? In Tokyo? Think about that. Could Donald Trump and Joseph Biden represent us truly on the world stage? Should they be representing us? If there was the greatest leaders and presidents and leaders of all time, or of, of a generation in a room speaking about global affairs, world affairs, economic affairs, social affairs. Would this be the two that you would send? Would you send Donald Trump? Or would you send Joseph Biden to go represent us in a presidential Olympics? Would you? If the answer is yes, okay. But if it's not, What's wrong with that then? And if the majority of the people you ask that question to, and I'd like each and every one of you to answer that question because we were on the verge of the Olympics. You know, we just had the Olympic trials and that was just to compete to see who was going to represent us. That was the best of the best that were competing to see which one of the best of the best was going to go and represent us. So even the last person, even the person who didn't make the Olympics and and didn't make the trials, because I think with the top three people who won races and who had the top highest scores in gymnastics and things like that, because I, I love track and field. So I'm going by track and field standards. The people who were the top three are the ones who were, I think, definitely going to the Olympics, even though there was six or seven or eight people running that eighth person is one of the fastest people on planet Earth. They could have had a bad day. Who knows? That's still one of the best that the world has to offer. The person who came in last at the Olympic trials. Now I'm asking you, if you had to put a team together of former presidents or just people, think about people you know in your personal life, think about professors, think about lecturers, think about intellectuals, authors, people that you follow, that you feel are, are, are archetypes of the kind of values that you feel uh, encompass the kind of person you'd like to represent us. Are they, be, are they Donald Trump or Joseph Biden? Because that's what you're saying. We, we like to say that this is the greatest country on earth. Do, does your president right now reflect that greatness? Do, is this the best? It's the, it's a, this is the greatest country on the planet. If you're an American, we just celebrated July 4th. As Americans, we are uber nationalistic and we are to a certain degree patriotic. We have some hyper patriotic ways and we like to say we're the greatest country on earth. 
okay? I've been to many, many countries. A lot of people who say that haven't visited a great many places, but hey, I digress. I've been to many places. America's nice. Would I call it the greatest country on earth? I don't know. But I like it here. It's, it's kind of dope, right? But I don't think personally, in my opinion, our leadership reflects that. I know a great many people that are more suitable for public office than Joseph Biden and Donald Trump. But yet they were on a stage for us, representing us. And whose fault is that? And people came out in record numbers saying things like anybody but Trump. And people saying things like Joseph Biden's a communist and he's a he's a he's a socialist. No, not quite. He, this was a this was the senator of Delaware. He was in, in the in the in the pockets of the banks for about 40 to 50 years now. So him being socialist or a communist. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite. Uh, go back and look at his political record. And he's more aligned with a lot of the people that think they hate him than they actually know. So I think about that line. I think about what he said. I think about George Carlin when he says these politicians, these people don't fall from the sky. They come from our schools. They come from our churches, they come from our high schools, they come from our universities, they come from us, and then they go through the ranks. They, 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 they campaign, they have stump speeches, and they move up the ranks from councilmen to, or, or from local councilmen to congressmen, school boards, and moving up to mayors or senators, and all of a sudden they have term after term after term and we reelect them, and before you know it, we have a 70-plus-year-old Joe Biden sitting there in the White House right now. And if you're not okay with that, what are you doing about it? If you ruled the world, what would be different? What would be different? I remember there's this, uh, I think it was, uh, what was her name? Hannah? Hannah Arendt? I don't know how to spell her last name. I think it's A-R-E-N-D-T. And she had this uh, this uh, article back in the days, I think it was in the 70s. And it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a political science major, by the way, everybody. I studied government and politics at St. John's University, um, as well as I uh, have a, a degree in international relations. But before that, I was an avid political reader. Why? Because my father was an avid political reader. So a p- a political science uh, uh, reader. So he had books and books and books written by the the Kissingers of the world. He had Winston Churchill books. He had books on Cold War books. He had books on colonization and everyone. So what did I do as a kid, you know, being that I didn't have a TV in my room, thank you, mom and dad, I read the books that my dad had. Even if I couldn't understand a lot of the words, I read the books. So I was a political animal to a certain degree from an early age because what I loved about these books were they told stories. A lot of people think that political science is boring. To me, it's far from boring because it tells stories. It tells narratives. It has dates and times, has timelines. You get to put things together. You hear a book about the Revolutionary War from an American perspective, and then you read it from a Spanish perspective, and you read it from a French perspective, and a German perspective, and an intellectual from all over the world. So you get all these different ideas about the same exact thing. It's like having multiple camera views. That's what it is, multiple viewpoints, multiple angles. So for me, I love politics. I don't like 
politicians. I don't like political speeches and debates. That's theater. I think I said that early on. I think I said that early on in one of my um, uh, first uh, episodes. I had family members and friends that would say, June, how come you don't, you don't watch debates and you don't, you don't partake in speeches? I said, because I, I know what the policies are. I have that, that, that particular politician's public legislation and the policies that they've backed. I have that on my computer. I know what this person is. I know what they tell you. I know what they're telling you. And I can tell you if what they're telling you is consistent with how they voted on certain things and what their agenda has been five, 10, 15 years before you heard them. I can go back and find stump speeches 10, 10, 15 years ago. And let's see if they're still that person or, or they have they turned and converted themselves into this new person so that you can elect them. This thing that they said 10, 15 years ago, they may still believe it, but it doesn't make them electable. So now they, they either omit it or they change it for you, but they still believe it. And I can see if they still believe it depending on how they vote for things. So I don't pay attention to personas. I don't pay attention to personalities. I pay attention to a politician policies, how they legislate, not the things that they say, not the sound bites and the hot takes, not interested. So for me, it's about policy. So that's why this line, that's why I've read a lot of these. The reason why I'm going there is because, you know, I'm reading things that were from before I was born and reflections on civil disobedience from Hannah Arendt. And she has a line that I love. And this line is this, the most radical revolutionary will become a conservative the day after the revolution. I'll repeat that for you. The most radical revolutionary will become a conservative the day after the revolution. You want to change things. You want things to change. You get a band of people who believe you. You're charismatic, you're articulate, you're intelligent, and above all, you're authentic and committed. You are authentic in your beliefs. You are passionate about your beliefs. You are well-read about your beliefs. You're trying to figure out how you can get your beliefs to be something that can be pushed through the political apparatus and turn your belief system into a new political ideology. How it can help people on the military, the, the, the uh, political sphere, the economic sphere, the social sphere. So you you now you have this rhetoric now that you feel that you can speak to the farmer, the poor person, maybe uh, to the elites, to whomever. You can defend your political philosophy now. And you're saying the system that's in place must go. And you're willing to die for these beliefs. You're willing to take arms for this belief, for these beliefs. You're willing to starve and get maimed, incarcerated, jailed, killed for these beliefs. And now, guess what happened? You create what's called the beautiful revolution. And you have throngs of people that are willing to die for the cause as well. You have people in power behind the scenes. They are funding your revolution. Poor people are giving you bread when you go from town to town village to village because as a full-time revolutionary you are operating off of the grid revolutionaries suffer when they're looking to change things there's no way around it 
if you are truly looking to change the system such as it is, a power system, a, sta a status quo system that elites and powerful and wealthy human beings thrive off of and are successful in and do not want to see change. If you are revolutionary, that means you want to see this change. That means you are going to suffer. And now all of a sudden people are helping you. You're suffering, but still you're getting by. You're sustaining yourself. You're sustaining your message. And guess what happens? All of a sudden your beautiful revolution comes true. And now you've taken over the elites and the power structure that was in place before you runs for the hills. They go into exile. They run away. And now you are in power. It is the greatest, greatest moment in your history, in the history of your people and the people you represent. They think that there's a new paradigm that will exist. Confetti is, is falling from the sky. Uh, AK-47s and machine guns are, are shooting in the sky and everyone, babies are, 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 are being held and, and this revolutionary is holding the babies and children in his hands saying, this is, this is a proud and glorious day. Today is the day we, we change our history. We are in control of our destiny. And guess what happens two, three, four weeks later? This same revolutionary now has to make sure that his revolution is not undermined by people who will seek to undermine his revolution. Maybe the outgoing, uh, uh, humiliated and disgraced power structure still has allies and spies and people at the newspaper and people in law enforcement and people in the military and people in business that are still there looking to undermine. So guess what? This revolutionary now turns into what? A conservative. And what's a conservative? A conservative by definition means someone who's averse to change and is holding steadfast to their values. <clears throat> That's how a radical revolutionary becomes a, con a, a conservative the day after the revolution. So now this same person now is incarcerating people who disagree with them, jailing, executing and saying these people are the enemy of the revolution. They are enemies of the state. They do not want to see our glorious revolution prosper. So they must be dealt with. And all of a sudden, the very same habits and practices that this revolutionary was admonishing from the former power structure, this revolutionary now is enacting those very same practices and habits to remain in power. Are you sure that if you were to rule, things would be different? Are you sure that if you were to rule, things would be different? I was watching a show, it's called Vikings. I think it's on History Channel. Actually one of my favorite shows. I liken it to Game of Thrones. And in many ways it's superior to Game of Thrones. And I find Game of Thrones to be a very very entertaining show. Um, I like shows that have to do with power dynamics. I really, really enjoy the amorality and the immorality of power because there are many pacifists out there and many peaceniks and people who say give peace a chance. And if they were different, if they were in power, they don't know the burden of being an authority. Even in my, even just me and my, my short life, 
having been in positions where I had to hire and fire people. It's a totally different dynamic when I had to own a real business, a brick and mortar business and had to hire and fire or I was in my crew of, of friends and they selected me to sit at the head of the table as opposed to just be one of the contributors to this sort of amorphous uh, group of ours. All of a sudden it was like, yo, June, you should. And they selected and elected me to be in a way in a leadership capacity. And that changed the dynamic of our relationships. There's a distance that occurs when you are in leadership. You see things differently and people see you differently. It's a different dynamic. And if you've never sat in any position of leadership, you don't know what you're talking about. Because I have a lot of friends, especially polite liberals. Um, I like to call them polite liberals. We'll get to that later. Maybe we'll get to that. And when we speak about politics, we can go back and forth dates, times and this, that and the third. And then all of a sudden they get real airy fairy and abstract and hyperbolic. And they, they don't then there's a point where they don't know what they're talking about because they don't understand power. And, and I go back to that Viking show. Great show, by the way, I recommend it if you're into that medieval Vikings, that kind of kingdom rule, things of that nature. I like it. And the famous Ragnar Lothbrok, the famous Viking, was speaking to his son and he said something to his son, his young son, because Ragnar at this point is king. You know, he was at one point a soldier, you know, just following orders. And all of a sudden he has the burden of command, so they speak. And he says, son, power corrupts the best and it attracts the worst very important line i watched this show a couple of years ago i first started watching it i think it was 2016 2017 when it when it debuted or whatever and i found that line to be poignant and that line um is exactly what stalin would tell you what niccolo machiavelli would tell you what confucius would tell you what marx would tell you um Various leaders throughout history will speak to you. Uh, Marcus Aurelius would tell you that power, the burden of command, how oftentimes you will have a crisis of leadership and to hold on to your power, the things that you would have to do for the quote unquote greater good. For you to keep your rule. If you rule the world. I think the, I, I have a, a former friend of mine in mind when I say that because our debates would get exasperating at times because this is where his, 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 his finely tuned intellect had a blind spot. He didn't understand the burden of command. It's like he started to pick apart history a la carte, like, like, like he was at a buffet, like, oh, no, I'll, I'll take this, but I won't take that. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, you can't just leave that part out where that revolutionary had his own shooting squad, his own spies, his own hit squad to find dissenters in the communities. You can't look past that. How he had diaries and had interviews and newspapers where he was lambasting and criticizing the very hit squads of the of the person that he just ousted out of power and ran out of power. We can't get past that. There is no such thing as a bloodless revolution. And a lot of people out there who 
uh, uh, think that they can give peace a chance without going to war or, or think that they can hold on to their power without things getting ugly. Even if you're working in HR and you say, I would never do that. I would never do that. I would never do this to that person. That Are you sure? Would you sacrifice yourself for your ideals? Would you fall on your sword and say, you know what? This is against my ideals. I don't want to revert to the same sort of uh, uh, amoral and immoral practices that I abhor. So I am going to secede power. I'm going to leave power and, and let others have their shot. Or are you going to say, listen, my way is the right way. I've been elected and selected by the people. And I'm going to do everything in my power to keep the power with us. And if that means firing squads and black bags over certain people's heads and spying on, the, on certain parts of the population that I feel are looking to undermine our great, beautiful revolution, I will do so. Are you sure you wouldn't be one of those people? Are you sure? Just asking. Because I remember, was it George Orwell, um, who was one of my favorite authors, political science authors. A lot of people only know George Orwell for 1984 or Animal Farm. But um, let's just say there's a lot more to George Orwell than just that. And he had a line, I think, and I can't, I'm trying to remember it. And um, some people said it's uh, you can attribute it to him. You can attribute it to uh, Winston Churchill. But if you read Message to Catalonia <clears throat> from George Orwell, you get a lot of you get to see how revolutionaries can turn into monarchs and authoritarian. A revolutionary turns into an authoritarian really quickly. OK, and he said something. He said people sleep peaceably in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf. People sleep peaceably in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf. So I ask you, so many of us out there say violence is never the answer, but we are the products of violence. All of us are beneficiaries of violence. Every time we tell a soldier, thank you for your service, we're not thanking them for the flowers that they planted. We're not thanking them for the songs that they sing. We're thanking them for their proficiency with the business end of a rifle. We thank them for that. How they use that business end of that rifle is what we're thanking soldiers for, okay? Because to protect borders, to protect nations, to extend borders, it, takes the, it happens at the business end of a rifle. Period. If you think if you have any misgivings about that, pause, take a second. Take a second. That's how we got here. That's how we are where we are. And so if you ruled the world, if you ruled your particular corner of the world, would your world be different than it is right now? And if it would be different. What have you or people like you done, if anything, to make it different? I just want to know. I'm looking at the world right now. I'm looking at people angry online. I'm seeing people take to the streets. And I love it. I don't care who you are. If you're the KKK, if you're this group or that group, and you feel so adamantly about your beliefs, that you're willing to show your face out there and let the world know you're, you're there to let the authorities know everyone in between know see your face from every angle 
no hood over your face, no mask. In the middle of the daytime, you're saying what you want to say. You're doing a video about what you want, about your beliefs. You're doing podcasts about your beliefs. I'm going to respect it on that, that you decided not to hide behind a screen, not to hide behind an avatar, not to hide behind a username. You said, this is me and this is what I believe and I'm going to stand on it. You may not agree with me, but here I am. If you have a problem with it, come see me right here and we can discuss it one way or another. I appreciate that. So what people call civil unrest, I don't. I'm, I take a very Henry David Thoreau uh, uh, stance on civil disobedience. If you have a problem with power structures and things as they are, then do something about it. You know, a lot of people, people have very varying, have varying um, um, ideas about what occurred in this country when um, there was a rush at the Capitol building. Um, I'm going to keep my thoughts to myself on that for now. Like I said, if people email me and they want me to speak, elaborate more on particular subjects or they like we can we can have that discussion. But um, I will just say that when I see people in the street. There's a transparency to it. If it's it lets me know certain things. I get to see things out in the open. I get to see, OK, who are you? And then I get to see, oh, wait a minute, who's speaking for you? Then I get to see that person's face and that person's name. And guess what I get to do now? Look them up. <laughs> I get to do research on them and I get to see, OK, why are you getting coverage? Why is this particular subject getting this coverage right now? And I get to dissect it and I get to do my research. That's why I love when things get out and pour and spill out into the streets, because I want to know why. Is it something organic? Is it something choreographed? Is it what I call protest chic? Is it the protest du jour? Is it some hashtag artificially come to life? I get to do all of that. So I like it. I'm not one of these people that hears, oh, no, there's another group taking to the streets and rolled and I roll my eyes. I go, huh? I don't let the news tell me too much about it. I go, huh? Who are the names? Who are they? Where are they from? What is it that they want? Why are they in the streets? And how did they get on my TV screen or my laptop screen or my phone screen? How did they get there? I get real journalistic about it. I get dispassionate and I look to see what it is that's going on, like a political scientist. That's what I do. I'm just saying. So for me, you know, I'd like to know if you rule the world, do you like the way your world is right now? Do you like it? You know, do you do you like the policies? Are you do you think we're going in a, a good a great direction? Do you think the future is secure? Do you love the direction we're going in? Do you like the direction we're going in? Do you dislike or do, are you neutral? Do you not know? Do you dislike? Do you hate where we're going? Are you absolutely afraid and terrified of where we're headed? These are a lot of little boxes. You could check one off, you know, love, like, neutral, dislike, hate, terrified, disgusted, ambivalent. You can write whatever you want. I just want to know. I'm looking at things, man, and I'm like, it's an interesting time. I don't want to say it's the most interesting time. It's, it's, I don't even know if it's the most interesting time in my life. I think so. I kind of think so. You know, the whole 9-11 thing was a little crazy, but now to think that ev everyone's going through some sort of 
collective lockdown and collective mania as it pertains to certain things that are going on, whether it's viruses or vaccines or, you know, whichever V, you know, troubles you the most. Some people, the virus troubles them and some people, the vaccine troubles them more than the virus. So whichever V vexes you, you know, you know, that this is sort of new for me in my lifetime. But um, just wanted to talk about that real quick. And I want to know, I wanted you to ask yourself, what would be different if you ruled the world, if you ruled the world or if anything let's look at history and think about all the well-intentioned you know and some people who didn't even get an opportunity to realize their dream of a great revolution cut down early assassinated exiled ostracized marginalized you know in hiding but the ones who got to live long enough to be the villain but they started out as these great revolutionaries with these high-minded ideals, you know? And they didn't get to die a hero. There are many of our martyrs. They got to die a hero in their 30s, sometimes in their 20s, sometimes in their early 40s. But is it that they were able to have their lives cut short and die a hero? If they were able to continue on, would they have died a villain? Would they have still, if they, if they were able to attain power and be in a position of power that they want and do all of the things that they wanted to do, would they have died a villain? Would they have lived long enough to see themselves a villain? Would they have betrayed their own ideals? I wonder about that. I think of many great men and women that died early. You know, they had beautiful revolutions and we seem to, we seem to um, freeze them in time because they died in the middle of their dreams. You know what I mean? I think you know, I think a, a, a rapper once said one 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 got shot um you know, got shot dying in their dreams and another one was shot and killed distracted by screams. And that had to do with one of them was MLK and the other one was Malcolm X was distracted by screams. Get your hand out of my pocket was said right before the gunman shot him on the stage while he was at the Autobahn Theater in Harlem in Manhattan. So one died before their dream was realized. One died while they were dis distracted by screams. And I, and I wonder about and, and many, many other leaders. I can go all over the world and, 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 and look at leadership and see many men and women who are shot down. I'm just thinking about many revolutions that have occurred and how these high ideals often were betrayed by the very same people espousing them. I want to know how you feel about that. All right, guys, on that note, we'll talk soon.